Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. Glad you're with us for OutKick 360, hour number two. Just like that. Just like that. Off and running on the Christmas Eve's Eve edition. Festivus. That's right. Merry Christmas. uh, Happy holidays, December 23rd, Festivus. Plenty of football discussion with, of course, the NFL last night with Thursday Night Football and then a great slate coming up on Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day. And here we are with the best bowls about to be on deck and served up for us next week. Danny Cannell joins us to lead off the hour from Bet Online, presented by Bet Online, and you can check out Bet Online for updated bowl lines, props, and futures. Danny, great to have you back on the show. Hope all is well. Everything is fantastic. I wanted to be at home in front of my home computer, but Christmas traffic had other plans. So I got caught up, was running a few last minute errands, picked up my daughter. So I'm stuck in the car, but I will not let it detract from our interview with, without question. So I'm fired up to talk to you guys. Are you guys, so you did say something, we're getting to the bigger bowls. I am firmly in the camp. Now, a lot of college okay. football fans disagree with me. I think there are 20 too many bowl games. Oh, yeah. I think 43 is way too many. And yet, you know, the hardcore football fans like, well, we take, you know, let's give us all the college football we can get. I'm like, no, I don't want to see crappy football games where half the team doesn't want to be there. I want to see where bowls mean something, where it truly is a reward. Like, make it eight games instead of six or even five in some of these circumstances. Make it where it's an you earn a reward for the season, and I think you would get better, more entertaining bowl games as a result of that. But I don't know. It's just something I always think of every bowl season. I'm like, 43 games is overkill. If there ever was one. Well, even if it's Eastern Michigan and San Jose State, I will agree with you. I'd prefer them be two motivated teams, even if it's at that level in a bowl game as opposed to one or both teams. A good example to me was Louisville and Cincinnati. That was a horrendous game and a horrendous setting in a very cold environment in Boston at Fenway Park. And two teams playing for different coaches that one was moving over from Louisville to Cincinnati, and it was just an atrocious game from start to finish but that that's the example Danny I think of what you're laying out of this is where it gets to be too much no doubt I'll give you two other examples so one the Florida Gators made their bowl and that you know if I'm a Florida State guy if I can take a shot at the Gators I will <laughs> but they were playing Oregon State they did not want to be there I mean you there was some they had some film of some defensive ends that were pass rushing and barely even making contact with the offensive tackle because they didn't want to be there. And they, that was reflected in the score. They got absolutely smoked. But then how about even at a lesser level, UAB had the leading rusher in the country and Dwayne McBride. They're playing in the Bahamas Bowl. You think that's a pretty good reward. He goes there, practices all week, and then opts out the day of the game, says, now I'm going to prepare for the NFL draft. It's just, it's there's got to be a solution. I think it's less bold. Some people say it's money. You know, you have to start paying these players, which I do think would help get the performances up. And you would see players trying a little bit harder. 
But I do think there's an issue where it's just there's it's just diluted too much. There's just too many games. Danny Cannell, our guest. Danny, I'm I'm looking at the lines courtesy of Bet Online, and uh, honestly, I have I, people ask me who I'm picking. Who I've, I have no idea with these games. I don't know how Vegas figures this out based on the fact that you really to your to your point. We don't know which players are in and out and which are you know, trying or not. The motivation of the, the, the factor of that makes everything really unknown for me. I'm totally with you. I hate giving out advice or picks in the bowl season until we get to the playoffs. You know, there's a right. couple others. You know, like I think it was a huge sign that Will Anderson Jr. and Bryce Young are playing for Alabama. Like, I think that's big. Probably want to lay points with Emma, but I totally agree. Like, I wait if you if you really want it, because I mean, hey, look, let's be honest, we want some action on these bowl games. I would say late till the wait till the very last minute to make sure the right guys that you think are playing are going to play. And then the other thing that can kind of be fun is live betting. If you watch a team and you see a team yeah. that looks like they they don't want to play and they didn't show up, you can sometimes jump on some value during the games. But it is a crapshoot trying to pick a lot of these bowl games. Uh, that are out there because you don't know, uh, first of all, who is playing and then who actually wants to be there. It's just a massive crapshoot. Yeah, one value play may be jumping on Houston, who is a touchdown favorite over UL Lafayette, and they currently trail 13 to nothing with seven minutes left in the second quarter, if you, if you were so inclined. Hey, Danny, I wanted to totally ask you about, about, yeah, about Drake May in, in North Carolina. Pat Narduzzi goes on a radio show and says, not one but two different SEC programs offered him $5 million to transfer. Drake May talks to Pete Thamel of ESPN today and says, that's just not true. That's not reality. No one's talked to me or my family, but does allow for the, I mean, someone may have talked of, you know, I heard from a high school coach that someone reached out to them or one of our representatives, someone may have reached out to them, but it's not like there was an official offer made uh, for $5 million. But I think the issue with transfer portal and every year free agency in college football is that we hear that story and to me, it's completely believable that an Alabama or Georgia would do that because Drake May wins them a national championship with their surrounding talent uh, around him. So that's where we are in college football. I don't know that that's great for the sport, Danny. What did you make of that whole deal? So I agree with everything you said. I don't think it's great for the sport. I do. So Pat Narduzzi's got uh, Pat Narduzzi's got a beef. Right. I mean, he wants to air it out because last year he had Jordan Addison, yep. who won the Fred Bolitnikoff Award. He even lined up. They, I talked to him on my radio show a week before Jordan Addison entered the transfer portal. And I was like, hey, you know, what's going on with Jordan Addison? He's like, oh, we, we've, we've secured some deals for him. He's going to stay here. He's going to be a Pitt Panther. A week before he announces. Now he goes, he gets, you know, USC gets a better offer, he decides to leave. And Narduzzi, you know, famously called Lincoln Riley, chewed him out, let him, you know, whatever went on behind the closed doors happened. So Narduzzi was somebody who felt that pain firsthand of losing one of his best players. And so he's trying to bring light to it. Everybody is because it is happening and no one wants it to happen except for the players because the players have all the leverage. Like we've had this massive, massive pendulum swing in college football and basketball, where for the last 50 years, the, the players had zero leverage. Like they were stuck. And some of it was really ugly circumstances. Like they couldn't transfer without sitting out a year, even if they did have sick relatives. You know, there was just, they were restricted. Coaches were able to bounce. 
But instead of finding a middle ground, we've gone, the pendulum has swung all the way to the other direction where the players have all the leverage. They have more leverage and more power than NFL players do because NFL players sign multi-year deals. They're under contract and they can get fired, you know, and lose that money. It's not guaranteed. These deals, you can take it for one year and you can enter the portal again in another one. If you've graduated, you can transfer multiple times without having to sit out a year. And the thing that's frustrating to coaches is they're used to, you know, they don't like distractions. That's a word we always hear. But they also like structure. They want to have a plan in place. How do we build our roster? What are our needs? What are our, you know, what, what positions do we need to feel, fill? And if they don't even know if their starting quarterback is going to come back in the case of May, how do you plan who's going to recruit? How are you going to hit the portal? And it's very frustrating. That's why Jimbo Fisher went off yesterday. It's why Jeff Trailer at UTSA said he has DM, you know, he's got proof for the NCAA players trying to poach their, you know, uh, teams trying to poach his players. It's a massive problem. And everyone's looking around complaining about it. And yet no one is coming up with solutions or uh, like restrictions because there does need to be some regulation on all this player movement. And until we get that, we're still going to see this wild west, which is still going to unfold and it's going to be a problem. And you're going to see more and more turnover on rosters like we've never seen before. Jimbo Fisher complaining about it is rich, and pun intended, <laughs> uh, with that. And I, I said the same about Nick Saban. People are crushing me. Oh, did you say that? Yes. Saban saying it about Jimbo Fisher was hypocritical at the time also. I mean, there, all these classes for these guys are bought and paid for to some, some way, shape, or, a, or another, even going years back. I mean, it's, yeah, that's been the case. And I'm with you, Danny. I'm all for players making money and making the, you know, what they, they deserve off name, image, likeness, and all that. But here's, here's an issue with this that I think it's not the Drake May thing that bothers me. It's the two best receivers from the SEC in the portal, Dominic Lovett from Missouri, Ra-Ra Thomas from Mississippi State, are both going on the same day to Georgia together. Mm-hmm. This whole system with the transfer portal, the initial idea was, hey, this isn't going to be all bad for the lesser programs. They're going to be able to get good quick, and they're going to be able to compete with the other. No. What it's become is a Georgia, an Alabama, an Ohio State can just continue to stockpile, and it furthers that separation from the haves and the have-nots. I don't, I don't think that's good for the entirety of college football. And you nailed it, Danny. There's got to be some form of regulation. There's contracts in the NFL. There's got to be some form of contract in college football. I agree. Um, what I think is happening, this is kind of what I've equated it to, is, and this is more of the movement up and down, like the players, that, the coaches that are going to get the best group of five players, where you see basically minor league baseball has double, a uh, single A, double A, triple A, right? You work your way up. If you're a great high school player, you get drafted, you get placed right in triple A. If you're a great high school player, you're probably going to get placed in the SEC. If you're okay, you get, you know, you, you go to a place that's probably a double A type school. If you're just okay to get a scholarship, you might go to somewhere with a single A. But much like minor league baseball unfolds, if you go and you rake at single A, you get called up. Well, guess what happens? If you play well at UTSA, you're going to get called. You're going to get called from some of the bigger schools and they're going to call you up, so to speak. Same thing, double A. You go, let's say you go to a, you know, a pit, which I would say is probably double A, like in the college football landscape, you're going to get pulled up to USC, who is at that triple A level, especially as far as money's concerned. 
So I think that's working itself out. It's also, if you're AAA, if you, if they think you're good, like a JT Daniels, you get sent down. So he goes to a West Virginia after Georgia and USC, by the way. And then now he goes to single A to go to Rice, where maybe that's where he, so the talent will kind of sort itself out. But the bigger problem I do think is what you're talking about is that Georgia, Alabama, the teams with the deepest pockets, with the most passionate fan bases and the biggest desire to win and spend are going to be able to just secure their spot at the upper echelon of college football. And that's one of the reasons we're going to 12 teams is to try to give more fan bases hope. There's going to be a lot more hope and a lot more teams that'll get to the playoffs. But as far as changing who wins it, you're still going to see Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, the usual suspects there because their rosters are 90% four and five star players. And it's, it's incredible the talent gap that exists between even Georgia and other teams in the SEC and Bama and the other teams in the SEC. And yet it's why they're still at the top year in and year out. Danny Cannell joins us on Outkick 360, courtesy of Bet Online. Danny, of the three teams not named Georgia in the college football playoff, which of the three have the best chance to win the national championship? I think it's Ohio State. Um, and then I think it's Michigan. And then I think it's TCU. Um, I think Ohio State is a really dangerous opponent for Georgia because I, I always like, and we've seen Bama do it before. When you get like a second life, when you get a second opportunity, which I would say that's how it categorize Ohio State. I don't think they earned their way into the playoff. And they were really upset about that when I, when I voiced that um, opinion to Ohio State fans, but they still got in. Like, and now that they're in, I think they're dangerous. If they can protect CJ Stroud, with an offensive line that is pretty massive and has done a pretty good job of doing that, they still have weapons. Even without Jackson, Sith, and Jigba, they could present some problems for Georgia defensively, and it's not going to be easy, but I think they can put up some points, and we might see Georgia, for the first time all season, have to play from where they haven't been, which is behind. You know, like, Georgia has not been tested where they've had to rely on their offense to win games for them. Their offense has played great. Stetson Bennett has put up big numbers and they played great against LSU in the SEC championship game, but they haven't played from behind. And I think that's something where Ohio State has the offensive firepower to be able to put up some points and potentially be in that position in a little bit of a back and forth game. I do think Ohio State's defense is better. I still think it's a liability where if Georgia can lean on them, that could be an issue. But I think that game is really compelling. And then if you're Ohio State and you beat Georgia, then maybe you get that other opportunity with versus Michigan. And yes, we saw it unfold, but it's tough to beat a team twice. And we've seen that unfold a lot, including in the Big 12 championship where TCU couldn't beat Kansas State for the second time. So I think it's Ohio State. I think they're dangerous. Now, they got to do it in Atlanta in the backyard of the Bulldogs, which won't be easy. But I do think playing in clean conditions, you know, a, a fast field indoors where everything will be clean, I think they got a chance to uh, actually pull off the upset. They remind me, Ohio State reminds me of Bama last year. Because that's the to your point that the last time they had to truly play from behind, they, they were playing from behind against Missouri, but it was Missouri um, this right. year. But Bama, Bama and Ohio State, team-wise, there are a lot of similarities um, in, at quarterback and wide receiver and other, other areas, except for, at least for me, in the trenches where the physical – tone isn't there for Ohio State but here as a scenario that could play out you know after the loss to Michigan Ryan Day's getting a lot of heat 
right? All of a sudden, mm-hmm. because he can't beat Michigan. Imagine the reaction if Ohio State beats Georgia and loses to Michigan for the national <laughs> championship, and he's lost twice in the same year, and he goes into this offseason where straight. there's a hot yeah, seat. Three straight. Three straight. There's a hot seat scenario that would not have been there otherwise based on making it to the title and losing the national championship game to Michigan. But don't you think he's also on the hot seat if he gets just boat raced by Georgia? I mean, I think if they lose by 14, which is very much in the realm of possibility, that Ryan Day will be on the hot seat. Yes, a lot of it will have to do with the back-to-back losses to Michigan. But if they get there and they look like they can't compete on the same field, that's ex- that's Ohio State fans' expectations. And that is nuts that we're even saying that. And I'm not saying he should be, but I'm saying based on the history of Ohio State and that fan base, I think he'll come in with a ton of pressure next year on him. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of what you get into when you're the head coach at Ohio State. So I think either way, like the only way he silences his critics is if he wins a national championship, because that's what Urban did. And yet you still hear Ohio State fans say, well, the further removed we are from the Urban Meyer era, the further away we look like we are from competing for a title. And they're, they're using that against him. So that's a, that's a, it's going to be fascinating to see how this offseason folds for the Buckeyes if they get bounced or, like you mentioned, if they actually beat Georgia and lose to Michigan three times in a row. That'll be insane. What a time to be alive if you're an Ohio State fan, that this is a fireable offense. Must be nice. That's a nice life. Uh, if you're a, <laughs> and, and you're right. I, I totally agree with you. Hey, I wanted to ask you about the state of Florida football. Because that round robin, when it was a round robin every year, Florida, Florida State, Miami – it's one of the best in all of sports. I ask you this because your Seminoles clearly have the bragging rights on the field right now with the season they've had compared to those other two schools. But taking it in totality, the National Signing Day class, transfer portal work for all these programs, coaching staffs, right now, Danny, where do you see those three programs at this point in time and where they're headed? Do you guys realize this is the first time and? In- probably seven years that I actually feel like I can brag a little bit about the Seminoles. Like I, I like to talk a lot of trash and I can actually take shots at the Gators and the Canes and feel really good about the direction of the program. Clearly Florida state, you know, had a far better year than the Gators or the Canes, but now you bring up the recruiting classes and you're like, Oh, wait a second. Miami just raked in the third ranked class. Florida was ahead of Florida state. But I do think Mike Norvell, who I've liked all along and was trying to, you know, preach patience to Florida State fans and Florida State faithful saying, man, let him do his thing. Let him weed out some of the bad apples. Let him bring in his recruiting classes. Let him attack the transfer portal. Let his philosophies take shape. Let his mental approach take shape. And we will see those results. And finally, we got him this year. And I think even in the season, we saw some of that. Able to go through through some adversity with a three-game losing streak, but bounce back and finish strong and beat a team and a rival like the Gators in your final game of the season. Now they can propel them into the offseason. I feel really good about where Florida State is. I'm not as worried about recruiting and the recruiting rankings. I was a little bit surprised that it wasn't higher. I would have expected maybe top 15 or top 10. Um but one thing that I that I really like what Mike Norvell has done is what the, the job that he's done in the transfer portal, whether it's graduate transfers along the offensive line. A guy like Dylan Gibbons, who has been a staple, the transfer from Notre Dame has been fantastic. 
or whether it was um, Jared Verse this past season or Jermaine Johnson. He has found key contributors and developed them. So I'm not super worried about Jaheim Bell also from South shape. Carolina yeah. this year. Exactly. Uh, Johnny Wilson. And there's a list of guys and they've gotten production out of them. So I feel really good. Like I trust Mike Norvell on the staff as developers of talent, no matter what the talent is. And I think the top 10 classes, top five classes will come down the road. I'm, I'm starting to like it. And I like, like, I want the state of Florida to be competitive. I like when Florida and Miami and Florida state, I think it's more fun to talk trash when it's a little bit dicier. Florida to me was perplexing this season. I, you know, it wasn't that bad of a situation that Billy Napier inherited and it seemingly got worse. And it just feels like there's some issues going on there that need to be ironed out. And like Florida state did, they had a rough year in year one with Mike Norvell. I, I worry about just how bumpy it's going to get and will they see it through? And Mike Norvell had COVID. So they kind of Florida state fans gave him a pass. I don't know if Billy Napier is going to get a pass. Um, unless it turns around quickly and they have questions at quarterback, Graham Mertz, like that's the answer. I think that's less than like, that's not knocking anybody's socks off Mario, I think. And then you're playing in the sec. You got to knock off Georgia. Like that to me is a significant challenge that Miami doesn't have to go through playing against the ACC. It was one of the reasons the Florida state, I think was able to get back faster. So I'm probably more concerned about Florida, Miami. I think they're going to be okay. I do think Mario's a good coach. I'm a little surprised things didn't work out with Tyler Van Dyke this past season. It was a really, you know, a regression year for him. But I do think Miami, because of playing in the ACC, I think they'll be able to get back more competitive, at least in the final records, be able to get an eight or nine win season, which will at least buy you time, buy you more support from the boosters. I'm a little bit more worried about where the Gators are right now. Check out Bet Online for updated bowl lines, props, and futures. Danny Cannell has been our guest. Uh, Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you, Danny. We appreciate you as always. Always a great chat. And uh, you've arrived arrived at your destination. So happy shopping. <laughs> I, I have. And I can go with my Big Nick energy. You guys like my sweater? Oh, that's a <laughs> big great Nick energy. Uh-huh. I, I need one of those sweaters. We also need those palm trees in the background because it's currently seven yeah. degrees outside here in <laughs> Nashville. And I'm seeing those palm trees. I'm really jealous. Stay warm, fellas. Have a great Christmas. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, Same man. to you. Thank you. Danny Cannell. Awesome. Uh, awesome chat there and uh, a full of uh, solid analysis with CBS, Sirius XM. And uh, thanks to Bet Online as well for making it happen. Chad, when we come back, we have Withrow's top 10 shows from 2022 and the bingeability rating for you with the holidays here. Maybe you've got some time off. You want something to do over the weekend. Chad's got you covered. Hutton has seen one of these shows, I think. So Just, the rest could be all new to you. That's next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. 
Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Streaming live at Outkick.com and across the Outkick network. Glad you're with us. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. Honey Withrow with you. You can read our weekly columns at Outkick.com. And Chad's available for you right now. And it's worth the the read because you're going to find out what you should binge over the holiday break. If you need a break, if you're looking for a distraction, Chad's got you covered. And we'll go in depth right now. Uh, and I'm curious to find out more about many of these shows I've never seen. So, which will not surprise Chad. Yeah, no, and, and a lot of people probably haven't seen some of these, which I pride myself on that. I don't want to give you just the most popular shows out there. And some of these are very, very popular. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not some you know elitist snob that if it's popular, I'm, I'm no hipster. But if it's popular, <laughs> I'm not going to you know give it its, its credit. I, I will. And some of these shows are very, very popular. HUD My Criteria was simple on this. Um, I'm not a you know TV critic. I'm not some artsy fartsy going to tell you about the cinematography. Right. I know what looks good. I know what I like. I know what's entertaining. I know what makes me think. What makes me feel something. And I went through ten to one on all of those things on my list. And it's really that simple. The biggest surprise to me on this is I've loved Yellowstone. Did not make my top ten. I went through the top two hundred and fourteen shows. That's how many shows there were. I think there was even more than that. Just in the United States alone, U.S.-based show in 2022 that had a season of some sort or a limited series or anything. I went through the Rotten Tomato rankings of all of those. And I went through, and I, first off, I had to see what have I seen of those right. shows. I got how down many? to 18 shows. Okay. Others that I had seen but did not make my list. But I got down to 18 shows and then had to narrow that down to 10, which was very difficult. I had to leave out some. Yellowstone would have been close outside the top 10, but I think ever since the shocking season three finale, it's been stuck in a rut a bit creatively with the show. So it didn't make my top 10. However, show number 10 is a Western. It is described as a Western, a neo-Western sci-fi series. Number 10 is Outer Range on Prime Video. Um, I love this show. Josh Brolin in the lead, Tom Pelfrey, who plays the troubled brother in Ozark to Wendy Bird, is one of the sons. Great in Ozark. It's on a Wyoming ranch. Uh, Josh Brolin's character is a guy named Royal Abbott. And basically the premise is simple. Uh, When he's out, you know, ranching his land, he comes across a huge black hole in the middle of his property. And weird things start happening from that point on. So there's sci-fi elements to it. It's family drama mixed in. I was on the edge of my seat. I loved it. It has been renewed for a second season. Many will ask that. They're not going to start watching if it's one and done and it ends on a cliffhanger that you're never going to know the ending to it. 
Uh, this one will have a second season, though, at least at Prime Video. The black hole makes me think of uh, this has a lost feel to it. A little bit. There's one I'm going to get to that's way more lost, okay. though, than, than this show. And it's not because it's not overrun with the sci-fi stuff. There's flashes of it, and it's clearly going to get more into the explanation, but it's not as big of a part of it. Uh, number nine has got a little sci-fi to it, but mainly it's just a psychological thriller. Severance on Apple TV+. Plus. A lot of HBO and Apple TV+, Plus on my list. Uh, this is Adam Scott, who's terrific. Ben Stiller directs every single episode. Uh, it's a little bit comedy. It's a little bit romance at times. It's strange, but it's one that you can't stop watching and trying to figure out what exactly is going on at Lumen Industries which this is based around. Um, and the whole concept is simple. It's explains in the beginning, but basically where you could have a brain for your work life and a brain for your home life. And the moment you leave your place of work, you don't know what you're doing at work and it completely turns off that brain. Same goes for your home life. You don't know what you do every day. And then when you go to work, you're doing it. And then you go home and it gets in a little bit of both sides of the brain with that. Uh, very, the concept is to me is great. Really good season one. It's been renewed for season two. Wait, is this it, how bingeable is this though? So that's a so bingeability out of range, very bingeable. You could watch this over the holiday. I would say the same for Severance, and it does end on a big enough cliffhanger that's going to make you want more. So I'd almost say you could wait till season two starts, and then it could go right into season two, and I think it's going to come out early twenty twenty three. So I might wait on this one. Um, another one I think is highly bingeable is my number eight show of the year, Tokyo Vice. I don't know how many people watch this, but when I saw the description, I'm thinking, how is this not a blockbuster? It's Ansel Elgort in the lead, Michael Mann of Heat and other big-time blockbusters, great American film director, directs the first episode of it. He's the producer. I think he, he uh, directs the first and the finale of the first season it has been renewed for a second season. It's on HBO max. It is the true story of a guy named Eric Edelstein, who is an American journalist who became the first foreign born journalist to get a job working at a Tokyo newspaper. And it goes through the process of what he had to do in learning Japanese, learning the culture, learning how things work at this newspaper to get the job and then launches into the criminal underworld of the Yakuza the crime family in Japan. This is and right how up my he alley. infiltrates it. It is You're speaking my language here. It is and, and really, the fact really that well it's done. A true story. Really, really That's well what's done. Very gripping. But it makes me want to watch the book. I would not watch, read the book. Tokyo vice is the name of the book as well. Uh, from Erica Adelstein. And with this streams where this is HBO on HBO max. max. Yep. I should just look at the screen. I, I'm surprised this, this didn't get more buzz throughout the year. Number seven, another one that got kind of some late buzz, slow horses, on Apple TV Plus. Season two is now available. The rare show that launched, I think, March of 2022, and they had shot two or three seasons all together. So they've already launched season two by the end of that year. Season three will launch sometime in 2023. Another one that's based on a book, a series of novels by Mick Herron. Concept is simple. It's Gary Oldman, who's terrific. But it's a group of like an island of misfit toys of MI5 agents that they're cast off to this professional purgatory of Slough House, and they're basically doing clerical work. But in doing this, they stumble upon a huge plot that threatens all of England. 
And they're the ones that have to go out and solve and the, what's yes. going on. Okay. So they're so, like uh, the Avengers or whatever. Kind of, but the, you know, if the Avengers were you know uh, very slow-witted for most of them or like at wannabe action stars that aren't quite good at it, yeah. that's, that's the misfit group you get here, and it's based on a series of novels. Really well done. Really enjoyed it. Highly bingeable the first season. Um, we're going to get to some more that are even more bingeable. Six Hutton on my list. 1899, season one on Netflix, has been renewed for a second season. This is a German show. Um, if you like this, I would say go in this order. So highly bingeable if you're looking for something to watch over the holidays. Watch 1899. If you like Lost, you're going to love 1899. It is very Lost-like. It tells the story of a ship in 1899 that sells from England to the United States, and on the way to the United States, they come across a ship that is abandoned, that's been lost at sea for months, and they board the ship, and no one's on it except for one little boy. Dun dun dun! I'll and, leave it there. And that's where. And then the, is that episode one? The, the, that's in episode one. The craziness goes from there. Um, it is really really good. I don't even. I'll try to pronounce the names of the creator. It's a. It's a couple, Baran Bo Odar and Janji Fries. Two German you creators, know. and if you like this, go back and watch the show Dark. All three seasons of Dark, available on Netflix. You can watch it with the language dubbed into English if you don't like subtitles. Uh, 1899, I think, features 11 different languages in the cast because it's a group of people from all over the world on this ship. So if, you, if you're okay with subtitles, half of it's probably in English, if it's, if, and then the rest is in subtitles, if or it's you can easy, dub it. Is it as easy to follow as Narcos? Narcos is way more subtitles, so yes. But yeah, the, the I thought the the they were brilliant in how they shot that show because you could read what was going on, but also watch at the same time. If that makes sense, so I didn't have an issue at all with that show based on subtitles. Yeah, three of the main characters in the ensemble are British. Okay, so they speak English, and then the other main main character is German, but can speak English. So there's a lot of English in it. It's not all subtitles, but when they, the, for instance, there's a Mandarin storyline. Uh, there's a, a, a Norwegian storyline. So it's in their native tongue, and you're gonna, it's gonna be subtitles. But on Netflix, I did this with Dark, and then the final season went to subtitles. You can dub it. It's a little distracting because the English actors, the voices they put over it, sometimes don't look like the actors at all. And I learned this on Dark. When you go back and put on just their normal voices, it's very strange. When you've heard one voice for two seasons and, then it and it's English, it's the American version, then you flip to it, it, it can be crazy. But I highly recommend. Uh, number five on my list, top 10 TV shows of 2022. One Hutton I've talked about on this show, Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. There's nothing about this show that should work. It should look hokey. The basketball scene should look terrible. Because we all saw the 1980s Lakers, whether we were alive during it or we've seen clips and highlights, we've seen it. But this show works because Quincy Isaiah is the actor, if you're watching the show, you can see him, that plays Magic Johnson, and he is brilliant as Magic Johnson. The basketball scenes are even really and good. And John C. Riley pulls off. John C. Riley is Dr. Jerry Buss. It's John C. Riley being John C. Riley, just hamming it up, but it's great. So uh, it's And it's very bingeable. If you get into the storyline, especially of it's one season. I mean, it goes back and tells some older stories, but basically season one, 
is Magic Johnson's rookie year. From the offseason leading up to the rookie year with the L.A. Lakers, and season two will probably be a span of maybe two or three seasons in that, but it's been renewed as well. Really, really good. I haven't watched it. The only person I've heard say a negative word about it was Jerry West. Right? Jerry That's West it. was not uh, pleased with his depiction on the show, yeah. and I don't blame him because a lot of people around him are saying, yeah, this was not Jerry West. Um, he is portrayed by – it's an Australian actor, and I'm blanking on his name right now. The other great performance, though, Adrian Brody plays Pat Riley. And I okay, thought that okay. was weird at the time, too. And he's really good. Um, very very well done. Doesn't work without the actors portraying real-life people and doing it well. Number four, Hutton, I believe the only show you've seen on my list, House of the Dragon. The biggest blockbuster that's on my list from HBO season one, obviously it's been renewed for season two. We can nitpick about time jumps and plot choices and could you have just done the first four episodes in one episode and then started episode two with episode five? But regardless, it's a show that we've always talked about, Hutton. They just go for it. You really don't know what's going to happen. Most shows you watch, you say, well, they're not going to kill off the main character or nothing bad's going to happen to this child or right. nothing weird's going to happen in this scene. And then it does. And they, this show has a lot of the same intrigue to it that you don't know what's going to happen. So... My only complaint with this is I wish I would have watched it and binged it instead of watched it weekly. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I would have, I think I would have enjoyed it more. It also has such a high bar to reach based on what Game of Thrones did on a weekly basis to what you're saying. You could not predict the storyline and how the twists and turns were going to happen uh, and whether or not good was ever going to triumph evil. And with this, I'm, and what I'm, is good and evil, right? But from you're, episode I'm to episode. always trying to measure this yeah. against that show, and it's very unfair because I don't think they can live up to it, no matter what they do. Because if they do, they're repeating what they've already done with the previous program. If it was Game of Thrones, it would be top three on my list. It's okay. not, so I, I acknowledge that it's not Game yeah. of Thrones, not as good. But by the end of the season, I was getting close to the same level of comfort with the characters of this show yeah. as I was with, with Game of Thrones. Number three on my list. I will just trumpet this from the mountaintops for all mankind. Maybe the most enjoyable watch that I've had this year. I'll say number two is probably the most enjoyable, but for all mankind, season three just happened. For bingeability purposes, you want to go back and watch season one and season two. It's very important to season three, but the conceit of the show is simple. What if Russia was the first to the moon and not the United States? And what would happen in the 60s? from that time? And then it's the domino effect yeah, of what could happen line. with global politics, with women being quicker into the uh, uh, women and minorities quicker into the space program, what that looks like. Really, really well done. I love this show. It's going to be on for seven seasons. Wow. I think because Apple just has so much money, even though this is expensive, they love the vision of the creators of it. It's going to be seven seasons. It's going to end in like 2060-something. It started in the 1960s, and by the end of the series, we're going to be 40, 50 years in the future of what the space so, program could look like. For, so what it would be over the 100-year span. Yes. So for All Mankind Season that, 3, that sounds cool. Apple TV Plus. Number two, I was talking about this with Colin, our radio producer before the show, The Bear. It's on Hulu. It's on FX, Hulu. You can stream it right now on Hulu. Hutton? The most bingeable show on this list. Why? 
Every episode is 21 to 47 minutes long. Eight quick episodes. It is going to plop you right in the middle of this Italian beef sandwich shop in Chicago. And it follows Carmi, who is a high-end New York City chef who has to go home to take over the family sandwich shop after the suicide of his older brother. It is so well done. It doesn't, if you just said it, oh, it's an Italian sandwich shop in Chicago, it doesn't sound great. It works on every level. It makes me hungry watching it. If you love food like I do, then you're going to love this show. But the characters are fully formed. There's drama. There's comedy. It's really, really good. Trust me on that. The Bear Season 1 has been renewed for a second season also. You can catch it on Hulu. Finally, Hutton. Another one I believe you've seen. And you, I, have I you seen not, it in? I have not. I have okay. not fully caught up on number one. But I, I don't disagree based on uh, how, again, I haven't heard any complaints about your number one option. Yeah, and this is a more of a lifetime achievement award. I, I probably could have put The Bear at number one um, or put For All Mankind Season 3 at number one. But Season 6 is great. It's the final season of Better Call Saul, which is my number one show of the year on AMC. I just thought they stuck the landing so well. It's so hard with a show like this, especially when it's attached to a show everyone has loved since 2011. Sorry, 2008, I think, is when Breaking Bad debuted. When you look at it for that long a period of time, so we're talking about 14 years, and then Better Call Saul as both the prequel and sequel to, 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 to Breaking Bad time-wise. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's close to perfection. The pace of it, the sixth season, there were times where I'm thinking, are we going to get to these moments we saw You know, at the start of the year where it's in Omaha and then it's not? It's perfectly done in the end. So that is my number one show of 2022. I will probably write my top 10 documentaries that I've seen in 2022 also, or docuseries, in uh, 20, at some point for OutKick. In 2023, there will be a documentary on Withrow and how he has time to watch all of these shows and also uh, keep up with 360. When you uh, have a wife that goes to bed very early and kids that go to bed at 8.30 and like there's that. not a sporting event on every night that you want to watch, you can usually get like an hour to hour and a half of TV in, and that's how I pace this out to see these shows. But that's my top 10 list. What was the worst show you watched of the 18? I don't typically even start watching something that I don't love. I'm trying to think of something I just started and immediately stopped this season. I'll give you one that I just don't understand the appeal to is Euphoria. I watched the first season and critics love this show. And it's about basically about high school drug addicts. Um, I, I don't, I, maybe it's above my head. I don't get the appeal to it. Uh, it's, it's interesting for a few episodes, but then it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it. That's one I don't love. He loves all of the 10 that he's listed here and uh, take his advice. If one pops out to you based on the plot, the storyline that you can read at outkick.com, binge it and let us know what you thought. Let Withrow know if he was on the money. Uh, tell me where I'm an idiot, too. You know, yeah. There's one that's not in the top 10 that you're thinking you're crazy to not include this one. And I can tell you, if I haven't seen it, obviously I didn't put it in, but there's a bunch of shows people recommend to me that I've never gotten a chance to watch that I need to get to. Coming up, we'll discuss the, the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception and... We've got the NFL injury reports for you to get you ready for the weekend, your fantasy team or the team you may be facing, and the impact of some of the players lost for Week 16. That's next on Outkick 360.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. How Kick 360 rolls on and got the NFL injury reports for you. We're at quarterback, Jalen Hurts is out. Ryan Tannehill will not play this week. And uh, also Lamar Jackson needs at least another week to play. Kenny Pickett, though, he's been cleared. He's cleared concussion protocol, and he told That's reporters in his first visit uh, first visit with the reporters since the concussion that he self-reported his concussion symptoms. He said he felt fine, went back out on the field, and that's where the, the vision started to get blurry. Uh, he, he said he just he felt weird and self-reported it to where they, they took him out. And he said things were just going so fast, and that's when the symptoms starting to come up on, on the field. He had to go inside. What he did, though, is he saved someone's job by doing this. Can you imagine if word got out that he had a concussion and played the rest of that game uh, after what we've seen this year? I, I don't... I thought they'd be so overly cautious after the Tua stuff, but yet this is not... I mean, this continues to happen. Yeah. Remember well, the but, Jacoby Myers, the the, yes. the the Patriots deal where yes. it was Troy Aikman spotting it and he was still... And if they didn't stop the play, I mean, it wasn't someone in the... It, it's odd to me. Well, and this is... We're starting to see a a turn, I don't think we're fully there yet from the player's perspective. I think, though, we're, we are starting to see players lean in more to the protocol and the symptoms and actually take what they should do, take, take time away to make sure they're okay before they return. I think far too often you tried to hide that. You know, you tried to trick the test on the sideline. I, I still think that's they're very capable of doing that in some way. Um, and that's why you have the, the spotter up top. But I, I, I think we're getting to more of an era where players are being careful with this. And I, you know, when I first started uh, in an NFL locker room in 2005, players. It was frowned upon if you left wanna, the game because you they didn't want to lose their paycheck. You yeah. know, and, and they felt like they wouldn't have a roster spot. It's a different era, and that's a good thing for the league. We discuss the top plays with the Immaculate Reception on top. That's next.